0: How's it going, everyone? You're listening to the Still Years Podcast. My name is Demageddon. I'm here with Patch and our friend, Greg Z, who is a second-year psychiatry resident at an undisclosed location in Texas. Greg, how have you been?
1: Good. Busy. I don't have very good lumbar support in my chair, so my shoulders hurt all the time now.
2: (laughs) I think we can all relate, right, everybody?
0: No, but, yeah. like also, like i I am considering just fully investing in a gamer chair, uh, but I like literally like it, the reason I haven't thus far is because it it does feel like stealing valor, and <laughs> I, I i I just don't you know like some like advertising schemes are prohibitive from uh, you know well meaning people from making uh possibly medically needed uh purchases you know what i mean mm-hmm. I, where where do y'all stand on this i yeah I, I think
1: that irony poisoning makes it really hard to 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 take good care of yourself sometimes <laughs> I, I
0: i won't buy the gamer chair but i will use the military discount at uh, home <laughs> depot <laughs>
1: I don't buy the gamer chair, but I would buy the buy with that chair that looks like a scorpion tail that shoots yeah. a in front of your face. Yes, yes, that is that's the level I would take it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I I like the ads because they're the uh, like most dystopian things because there's like this rictus smile that each of the models has for some reason, but it's it's very unnerving. Of like, you don't need to leave this chair. You know what I mean. <laughs>
1: i no, look up gamer chair ads. I don't know if I wanted to go down that road.
2: I had tweeted a thing that was like the o- online teaching starter pack and it included a gamer chair uh, <laughs> or, thought, or thought it gloves and like a um, whatever like beach headset thing that gamers use. Uh, and some of my colleagues use those headsets and I can't understand a goddamn word they're saying, to be honest with you. I'm just like, Oh yeah, cool. Yeah. That sounds, yeah, that's a good idea. I think, uh, okay. Moving on. <laughs> I,
1: I went with, I went earbuds, uh, Oh, just for background. So second year of psychiatry training and is, uh, it, my program here is, is what we call a clinic year outpatient year. So, uh, so I, I, I strictly see people in the like more traditional like go to see your psychiatrist, discuss your medications um, and, and things of that sort and as well as doing therapy training. Um, but because of the pandemic since July, I haven't seen a, a person or a patient in person in the same room as myself um, since June. And uh, so I sit in this room where I'm at right now um, usually wearing like a button up shirt and sweatpants, just, just gabbing away about whatever's going on with my patients.
2: Hell yeah, dude. Business professional from the waist up mm-hmm. respect.
1: Make yeah. Like a to... mullet of outfits. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> very true. Very true. Do you ever like, I, when when you meet with people, um, like, can you, can you see them? Because one of the things like for us, it's, it's very weird. Like we have a district policy of where kids don't have to have their cameras on if they don't feel comfortable with it. And I get it. Like they're, they're teenagers having the camera on probably amplifies that feeling that you have like during adolescence of like the spotlight's always on you. Everyone's always looking at you. Everyone's always, you know, making fun of you. Uh, and it can make things super awkward. Some, some of mine will turn their cameras on. They don't feel weird about it, but a lot of them, uh, don't. So I feel like I'm just like doing a, a a horrible, uh, up routine in front of a bunch of, uh, inanimate, like, uh, cardboard cutouts a lot of the time until they respond to something in the chat and they go, okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There's a, there was a, as soon as the pandemic hit and Every bar got closed. Which oh,
2: y'all got the y'all got the pandemic too.
1: Basically, <laughs> we got a touch of it. Uh, <laughs> just a but, touch. But you know, when bars closed, comedy's canceled, and and uh, there was a lot of a lot of, and there still are plenty of like Zoom and Twitch based uh, um, comedy shows. And I watched a couple, and I was just thinking about uh that just how miserable i would feel for the five ten minutes of just talking out my set in the same spot like i would be sitting here doing it like that but i would just be talking alone in and it just uh, all sounded so bad but so many people were doing that very thing
0: they they all have like the 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 tone slash mood of like someone trying to kill some dead time during like a, a family court proceeding. They all have that. It's like specifically that of just like like nervousness and then dead silence between words. And it's it, it is odd. You know what I mean? It's
2: like that it's... Nanette's Nanette special,
1: you know? It's <laughs> exactly like that.
0: Yeah, dude. All is that powerful. Sure. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, what were we talking about?
0: I, I think one of the, uh, I think I think for you, and I guess one of these things that I've been thinking about a lot is um, the pandemic obviously disrupted a lot, but for me it, it disrupted like a normal pattern of work because I had been doing the same job for some time. And I, I do uh, find it interesting regardless of like what your job is or where you live, but like the, I guess the amount, uh, of people that were hit during just kind of uh, what they thought were going to be just kind of predictable transitional periods. And I, I'm sure going into your residency and stuff, you probably asked a lot of people what it's like and everything. And now <laughs> it's <laughs> probably nothing like what they said it was. You know what <laughs> I mean? Right. How has that been? Or, or you know?
1: Yeah, it, it's interesting because, well, one, um, the one thing I learned – about myself is that I don't have a lot in common with other um people in my profession and medicine in general as like my personality and interests in general. Yeah. And so when I can I, relate. I can relate whenever I <laughs> I'm also not I'm, like other girls. Yeah, you out of step with the world. Um but I uh I just uh will find myself hearing like oh yeah this this is how this works. It's not so bad. And this is how that goes and it's good or bad. And then when I'm actually experiencing those things, I, my, my experience is so different that I I don't trust what most people say is their general evaluations for things specifically in my profession, because it's just, we, our perspectives are just too different to, to make any sense of what their opinion might be. Um, So I just hear kind of, The objective elements, and then try to assess it on my own. Um, But uh, uh, yeah, so but then when you look at the reality of what's going on now, so the pandemic hit during my intern year when I was working in uh, I was working in a psychiatric hospital, and uh, and it was difficult because we um, had to limit the visitation um, to like one or two people at a time to see, see their, uh, loved ones. And, and, uh, that was difficult. And then as the pandemic continued to escalate, I switched over because as an intern in psychiatry, you do psychiatric work, but you also do general medical work. So I had a neurology rotation in the hospital and I had a emergency medicine and general pediatrics. um, four weeks at a time, back to back to back. And that was when the, that was kind of like during the dip and then the upswing of the pandemic and over the summer or was late spring, early summer. And so everything was different. So like on my pediatrics rotation, we would, we worked seven days straight and then had seven days off. But those seven days you worked like 12 to 14 hours. And uh, so it was, it was brutal. Um and then but then like in the emergency room, there was a while where it was a ghost town because nobody wanted to go to the hospital. Everyone was scared of the hospital because that was where all the sick people were going. And then uh
0: Which people- is true. Which is true.
1: It's very true. It's still true, but <laughs> they but you know, people had a lot of anxiety about going to the hospital and delaying their care um, for, like I saw a guy who had a stroke three days after he had symptoms. Whereas typically people, most people who have a stroke and they have the access to healthcare, they they immediately notice something's wrong and then they seek help um, or within some amount of reasonable time. And so seeing people delay their care on their own was odd but started to bounce back and and people were starting to go back into the hospital with general medical complaints but that was all uh to say that it's dramatically changed things and and you know this this year that i'm in now um is uh is usually like a big year for bonding within the like the class. so the other seven second year residents here we all are learning how to be outpatient psychiatrists and learn how to be therapists and work in with with child children and work with adults and geriatric patients and we all kind of work through it together in the clinics and we're all we're all siloed in our little homes now and so we don't have that like cohesive um, bonding time that's kind of a big part of medical training in general to to build the relationships within your field and uh so some of these littler things that um I'm starting to feel the burn of that I'm like I don't I feel like I don't know or I should know my colleagues better and uh and I don't because like I can't see them most of the time
0: yeah and luckily for us we have like meetings with our co-workers and stuff and that works out but I I will say though I because there has especially now it, it's been very interesting uh because for a lot of uh people that I work with um obviously college educated and everything but they were essentially on or they at least thought themselves to be on track uh to essentially be rewarded by this society for following all the rules and doing everything that they were supposed to when they were supposed to do it um so this whole time has led to uh, a situation where like a lot of that uh the thinking that you know would cause you to believe that (laughs) this stuff would pay off and um is obviously brushing up against the you know uh, an economic system that's completely pushed to its limits but still there's like these uh liberal ways of thinking where you know the scapegoating of individuals and stuff like that that i am pretty grateful that we've been able to you know um actually engage uh a lot of those people and fellow workers in like I guess like pushing them towards more kind of uh, collective and collaborative solutions instead of just saying, well, it's this person's fault for not doing this. So therefore yeah. let's move on and fuck them. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. It's so- like the
1: people who who are following all the rules get very upset when minimum wages are discussed to be raised. And like yeah. the, a really interesting example that just happened this in the last week or so in, in specifically in medicine is, Part of your part of your medical licensing, um, no matter what kind of doctor you are, um, you have to take a series of of tests, and one of the tests in the second phase of testing involves you having to travel to a a specific location in the country. There's a few of them that offer this test, and it's a it's twelve hundred dollars to take the test, and it's and then you have to worry about travel and hotel. If you don't live in the city and there's only like five cities that have it. And so it was this really expensive test that had a 99% or maybe not quite as high as 99, but pretty close to 99% pass rate. So it was really not a test that told you anything. Um, And it was pass failed. So sounds sounds familiar. (laughs) So they, so that just recently um, that people have been griping about this test forever, even before I Started in med school, I'd heard people say like, get rid of this. The it's called Step Two CS, or like get rid of CS. And I just found out that the United States uh, Medical Licensing Exam, like group, the the ACGME, they finally decided they're not bringing it back because they they canceled it during the pandemic, and they're just not going to bring it back. And I've seen some of my like more liberal friends already like. Yeah, I want to get my twelve hundred dollars back, and like, no, just be happy that no one else has to pay. Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and um, I guess like, especially whenever you're seeing things that I, I think especially like around schools and a lot of these things that. Um, are really are like milestones in terms of like American culture and American life of like, you do this thing at this age and so on and so forth. Not just graduating when you're a 12th grader at 18 or 17 or whatever, uh, but a lot more that people really have a hard time uh, wrapping their minds around of just like, no, things are really, really different now. And we have to change a lot of the rules, whether it's, you know, you know, who does what when, or a lot of the standards kind of have to change. And and like the, a lot of, there's just a a lot of unnecessary loopholes and uh, hoops that you have to jump through that kind of are, you see falling away right now, but a lot of them are simply things that don't hold water whenever they are rubbed up against like material reality and actual, actual human need. Um, and we're seeing that in real time, um, but with that i i think we're starting to see a lot of stuff really highlight itself as just kind of being overall just complete bullshit. you know what i mean
1: yeah yeah and in the sort of crisis that people are going through when they don't because because no one told them how to react to these situations because everyone thought this was all fixed in place and and this is how it's supposed to work and very clearly not happening and people are 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 really struggling people who are doing just fine especially are having a very hard time with accepting some of this stuff and and that's uh and that's and that's and those are usually aren't the people who i see as patients they're usually just people who whine on twitter and facebook
0: they matter too
1: yeah oh you know that i've been getting we we
0: matter
3: (laughs)
1: I've been getting a lot of recommendations for reels of, uh, of like Instagram influencers and it's all just like fitness women and then fitness moms. I, I, are those the only people who post on reels on Instagram? And,
2: and they're, and they're all using the still years, uh, recent <laughs> single release uh, because <laughs> Tim did an excellent job promoting it and getting a bunch of Instagram influencers
1: <laughs> to include it, uh,
2: to include it on their story, <laughs> so. give
1: you good business ideas. <laughs> how to how to maximize yeah, yeah. Your income yeah. to make six it's figures. All, you know
2: what? You know what I've learned during this whole time. It's all about mindsets. It's all about <laughs> it's all it's all about taking the initiative. You know you know about mindsets as a as a freaking mind doctor, right? <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm always <laughs> constantly evaluating my patient's mindset, and then. <laughs> When they come, have you, th- have
2: you tried waking up on the right side of the bed today, sir? I mean, come on,
1: <laughs> it's just weird. Yeah. That it, it, it takes you a
0: whole hour to ask if they've had water.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, are you hydrating? Um, uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, I ask my male patients, uh, are you masturbating because you shouldn't be? Uh, <laughs>
2: Do you want to go, go blind?
1: Give up your essence for free, like, that? <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man, kind baby of,
2: killers. Uh,
1: that's the you, kind of stuff you, I
0: do. You know, being <laughs> immunocompromised is, is a mindset,
1: right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> gotta have that grit. Gotta have that de- determination.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. What a great buzzword that means absolutely nothing anymore. Yes.
3: Yeah.
1: It's, <laughs> it's awful.
0: I, I wish you had just taken a swig of whiskey and started. Tar- start, you start telling us about when grit meant something. I
1: know. I, I really. Yeah. I, I just suddenly have a huge mustache. Uh,
0: just shoot, shooting pistols into the floor till you're floating.
1: I need my my pontificating whiskey. Hang on. <laughs>
0: i feel like that's a demographic setting for like the the ig algorithm
2: <laughs> oh for sure yeah <laughs> but it, i'm changing
0: really... my twitter name to the whiskey pontificator
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. i i
0: yeah uh yeah, the whiskey pontificator is definitely replying to our femme friends on Twitter right now. <laughs> <laughs> Literally as we, as we speak, that's what they're uh, doing. Uh, yeah.
3: Just
2: fedora-wearing ass. Uh, just the the
0: word, well, actually complete, uh, auto-completing just when you hit reply. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man.
2: But, but yeah, it, that really is like a, a thing we've probably all been thinking a lot lately is, um, you know, cause we talk about these buzz, buzzwords of like grit and stuff like that. And so that the idea of fostering hope, not only in yourself, but trying to build that within other people has to be extremely difficult at this time. Um, I know it is in our profession, you know, working with younger people and it must be in the mental, mental health, um, arena as well. Um, and so it's something I know I've been thinking a lot about lately, how, like, like how did, how do you, how do you do that? I guess.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I, I wish I had really smart, insightful things to say, especially as it relates to young people. Um, but one of the, the, the downsides of, um, of the, the corner that psychiatrists, uh, have been stuck in d- due to this, uh, fee for service system wherein, uh, it makes it difficult to really, when I, when I talk to my, um, younger patients and their parents, um, I, I'm so focused on symptoms and stressors that lead to the symptoms and how do I, how do I relieve the symptoms? It's not always medication, even though, you know, these Instagram influencers will tell you that I'm just hawking meds. Um, but uh, I, I often don't get a chance to really get into the weeds with my patients to understand those things about them. Um, I have five adults who I see as therapy patients right now on a weekly basis. And we're so, they're so far gone in their own um, complicated lives now that that, that we don't get we often don't get into the some of the core problems or it's taking takes time like I've had a patient for almost six months now that we're just now getting I've seen her weekly for six months and I'm just starting to feel like I'm getting to some of the core issues that she's been dealing with that like really underlie the problems and the and so yes yeah, it's, it's it's just I guess the short answer is I wish i knew more about this stuff especially as it relates to young people um
2: but I, do you uh sorry do you because you had mentioned getting getting into the weeds so a two-part question would it be beneficial to get into the weeds uh with them and if so do you think there's like systemic uh, barriers to that, whether that's time or resources or your, your patient's own ability to afford the services that they need.
0: Yeah. Or maritime law. Or, yeah. <laughs> do you have, do you, a, part- do you
2: have a flag in your, uh, sorry, follow up question. Do you have a flag in your office and does it have fringe?
1: <laughs> I don't have any fringe. I don't have any flags yet, but do you okay.
2: So nothing counts there. <laughs>
1: yeah. Two part question. I give you a one part answer. It's yes. Um, I would love to be able to get the time to to talk with my patients about this stuff. Um, I've been watching a lot of Sopranos lately and <laughs> really enjoy. Um, Doctor Melfi actually doesn't do a terrible job as uh, as a sort of psychodynamic oriented therapist trying to pick apart his panic attacks and. Uh,
2: it really what do those ducks mean though
1: the it's it's really he's got this uh, he has fears of abandonment that's the big the big part um, that's that's the underlying or one of the underlying psychodynamic ideas is that this fear of abandonment is um, anytime there's any perce- perceived fear of abandonment um, when it gets elevated enough, um, in the right situation, it can lead to a panic attack. So like the fight he had with his mom and that had that big panic attack, uh, is that a spoiler alert if, uh, it involves,
2: <laughs> it, it's fine. I just want the audience, the <laughs> listeners to know that we do not, uh, condone toxic masculinity nor the shows that glorify it such as hbo's the sopranos so but but continue (laughs) and
0: also to the poster who did the post about how guys will start a podcast instead of going to therapy Uh, fuck you you, we did both (laughs) whatever we did both yeah Yeah. actually
2: actually there's a lot of stuff i need to run by you
1: (laughs) (laughs) i get oh man yeah (laughs) How's that going?
0: (laughs) The 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 free
1: labor. How's that going? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Do you think I'm? Do you think
1: (laughs) I always do? uh, uh, You know, it's like when like comics always complain about. Do uh, they telling people they're (laughs) comedian and then the and then someone says, "Tell me a joke," and then they. their mind like yeah but you also like were asking me about like what's going on with your Lexapro so now I'm at double work because I'm at the mic <laughs> telling you shit what's, about your, what's, what's
2: your hourly rate for emotional labor
3: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> I'd have to figure out what I want my <laughs> your little napkin set list <laughs> yeah <laughs> like I spend Four to six hours a week at comedy shows. I want to make a million dollars a year. I don't Hell know. That, yeah, I'm uh, um, a um,
0: modest I, yeah. I have an app called Robinhood for you. Then, Ooh,
2: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> doing great today. Um, you know, investing in GameStop and such. I I've been buying up GameStop GameStop stocks like there's no tomorrow. So, feeling pretty confident about that. No, I'm pretty sure that's how it works. You you buy high and sell
0: low. So. Dude, that's all I'm doing. Oh, uh, there's a second part to that question that we didn't get to, though. uh, (laughs) Oh, right. Yeah the uh, the systemic part of it, uh, because I I, obviously there's going to be like uh, barriers, and I guess I'm I'm just curious about like what your your thoughts are like overall on Mm it. Um,
1: Yeah, well, you know, there's there's so many elements of you know barriers to healthcare in general. Um, In there's infrastructure uh, racism, um, you know, class war, uh, all that cool shit that, uh, that, that, that just makes accessing healthcare harder. And then the system itself kind of with the history of racism and then racism kind of still built into it, um, making it harder for people to, if they get access to the insurance to allow them to get healthcare, are they getting, good care from people who actually take them seriously and treat them well. Um, And and so those are, those are all huge problems for us in medicine and, and in any, generally um, in medicine outside of our system too. Um, But, uh, but then there's with mental health, you have the added issues of insurance companies don't like to pay for a lot of the stuff that we do um, and, and then there's a lot, you know, the stigmatization of, of, uh, of any mental illness. And, you know, I've, I have almost once a week, I see, you know, maybe 20, 30 patients in any given week. And, and somebody says something along the lines of somebody with a diagnosed mental illness will say, well, I don't have that. I'm not like crazy or anything. i like, I'm not I'm not throwing around pejoratives. I'm trying to figure out like what's going on so I can help you, but there's a little, there's, there's, there's all these, um, there's the stigma of, of mental illness and the general misunderstanding of what mental illness is um, and all of that. And then, and then add in, um, yeah, additional like issues of access and, and then you have issues of violence and, um, you know, like we were, we talked about earlier today about how, like, uh, you know, the perception of mental illness and how, uh, how that leads to police violence. And there's, there's a much higher risk if there's, um, if you're, if you have a, a diagnosed or have received treatment for a psychiatric issue, um, to have been murdered by a police officer in a interaction with one especially if they have to enter your home and yeah um, and interestingly substance and in, in intoxication and substance use history is not nearly as uh, high of a risk factor and so when people mention drugs in these stories as a scapegoat it's uh it it's really disappointing because it's like clearly um not supported by evidence but uh But there's, yeah, there's endless numbers of barriers for people to get good mental health care. But, you know, even in our own system and where I work is uh, we... We actually see more patients now because it's virtual. So people don't have to worry about transportation. That's what I was
0: about to ask. Yeah, because one of the other, I I think, uh, class barriers is even just transportation, especially in a place like Mm -hmm. Texas that, you you know, for a lot of huge, huge, huge swaths of land, either you have a vehicle or you're stuck at home and that's it. There Mm -hmm. are no other options to it. Um, So that was something that I was actually curious about because I I think that there um, are probably some... Uh, services that are actually uh, getting to people simply because those people no longer have to travel for it. And Mm -hmm. that includes like some people with insurance, but that may leave them so strapped for cash that they can't fix their car or whatever the fuck, you know?
1: Yeah. I, 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 I saw a patient recently who, um, because of their depression couldn't go work for Amazon for a couple of days. And that cut in their paycheck And now they can't afford their CPAP machine and if they don't get their um, sleep apnea treated soon, this young person's going to die of a heart attack in 10, 15 years.
2: Jesus Christ. I saw, I I don't know, people tweet stuff all the time, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if this was actually true of like if Amazon paid all their workers a minimum of $35 an hour, uh, Jeff Bezos would have still made like $10 billion or whatever the fuck. (laughs) During the pandemic. Um, <laughs> um, so in, I guess uh, talking about systemic barriers to mental health care, uh, do you see any systemic s- solutions uh, to these systemic barriers?
1: Um, there, There's uh, really not a lot right now, especially since there's, you know, like the first thing is just giving everybody access to uh, insurance so that they can afford any any of the care. Um, but the but the there's there's some there there's a lot of sort of politics too in the you know the interaction between pharmaceutical companies and insurance companies and hospitals um, that are all um, sort of ills of the system that. Would need to also be worked through, um, but we and then we also have um, all these other um, issues outside of that that are making it difficult to allow everybody to have access to good good care and and then you add in something like the pandemic and you know like we have here in 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 Texas every county has their own uh, mental health. Um, kind of authority, and uh, and so they, they often have, they have specific funding to, to treat the uninsured um, uh, population in, in their county. And the in the bigger cities, they were doing virtual um, visits and telephone visits and not seeing anybody in person for a while, which meant if you didn't have a phone, um, you were not gonna get to see Anyone, If you're in a crisis, you might come to the hospital, come to the ER, but the ER is getting filled up by other people in a more severe acute crisis than maybe you had just run out of your medicines. And so people are getting lost in the shuffle there that, um, um, you know, just like working through the pandemic, nobody really has a good um, solution to like, how do we address this and do it safely? Um, but there, but I often don't even hear a lot of people talking about the fact that how big of an issue that is. Uh, at least not in a way that involves a discussion of solutions. Also,
0: I I think it is like worth noting too um, that for a lot of this, uh, there's a stupid fucking meme of like Marx didn't account for <laughs> dot dot dot. You know, um, but truly, I I think for a lot of people right now because. Frankly, um, schools were desegregated at one point. At some point, there were some sort of uh, scheme set in place for working class people or at least people who are uh, who can empathize with the working class getting into college, either by way of, you know, just you know be allowed in and it's paid for or going into debt, which most of us did. But. Um, but essentially there are a lot of people who are now a part of these different uh, industries and uh, fields that essentially don't necessarily uh, completely fit in with the program completely as it was intended. And for a lot of these things, and I think especially when we talk about uh, how mental health was shaped, if you're not coming in critical and if you're only reading the books in school uh, throughout your schooling, Um, There's a lot of these different fields are set up to essentially get people well enough and uh, able-bodied enough and able-minded enough and intelligent enough just to fit into the economic system on whatever level they were. And so for a lot of this, uh, we are running into uh, the contradictions that arise whenever you have people starting to really value the human being and not, just their uh, economic output and for a lot of this of like their i think we're starting to realize very quickly is that there are no solutions within the existing system because of that that's why they we can't just look around because yeah we're serving people who were never intended to be served um and for a lot of that we do have to start being a lot more creative in terms of um what Uh, person-to-person relationships we need to start building because we're not going to be able to have the bigger, you know, corporation-to-corporation relationships. We can't do that. We can't do, we don't have uh, the funds uh, to have all of the technology to do a bunch of different things. We don't have the capital to buy buildings to just start our own schools or practices or any of that shit so we do need to put our emphasis on like what can we do on the person-to-person level at least that's my opinion but i i am uh, curious about that sort of thing and regardless of what the field is of simply running up against uh what happens whenever the contradiction finally arises that oh we're functioning within systems who uh simply did uh, or that we're simply built on the premise that some people could be left behind, in fact, should be so that the others could prosper. And it's the same thing whenever we talk about, uh, you know, Medicare the for minimum, all and the minimum
2: wage arguments. Yeah. yeah.
0: Minimum wage arguments or even the Medicare for all, uh, the anti uh, Medicare for all argument that wait times will increase and won't wouldn't that be so bad as opposed to you'd be waiting I would in. hate waiting for free healthcare. yeah but like the idea that <laughs> but the the reason the wait time would be longer is because your neighbors who didn't have access to healthcare are finally being treated and that's who you're waiting behind is like the people who are getting treatment that necess- that weren't going to get it otherwise and so I, I I'm curious uh, and I know I've been rambling now but like what your thoughts are on this this moment in which so many contradictions are, are coming to a head you know
1: mm-hmm. yeah I, the, in the because i'm involved in conversations with um groups like physicians for a national health plan and i was involved in the students for a national health plan as a med student and other organizations that that support um like hr 676 i Maybe they did get that number wrong. Anyways, that's like the Medicaid expansion bill that gets proposed every year and shut down. Um, but uh, but the in in these circles we talk a lot more about um, because like the the general idea of like giving everyone insurance is is pretty much it's there, and there are people who are like who are really invested in like crunching the numbers and doing like comparisons to tell the stories of. Other healthcare systems that might be comparable because, you know, one one really um, loose point that people try to make to to be against uh, like Medicaid expansion is just like, oh, well, you can't compare us to the socialist countries because they're so small or whatever. But then you look at larger countries like Canada and people, and so people. So there are people who are invested in like looking at the numbers and trying to show like how how the data actually does support the, like the viability of these kinds of programs in a, in a sort of economic and uh, um, uh, financial sense, but, um, but, but also having discussions of, yeah, like what is, how do we actually um, increase the workforce and resources so that that we that that the the issue of um a long line for like one doctor on the end of the block versus you know three different doctors in the neighborhood and managing everybody so that the the wait time isn't an issue everyone's got access to physicians and so we're so we're training more and um and we're kind of doing that automatically here because of the medical students make the government a lot of money because they, we, we take out so much money in loans and then uh, and then we often work at non-for-profits and then um, and then like the hospitals make a lot of money off of us, especially as a resident. You know, if I, if I got paid um, the amount of money and billing that I could do for the, for the work I do week in week out, it it'd be a shit ton more than the salary i get, i make um but because i'm a trainee and they they tell me i i i get these i get this uh still good wage obviously um but you know it's still it's it's um but anyway sorry back to your question
0: well i uh, i think also too but even even the fact that you bring up your pay and i i think that this this literally might be one of the first times that a lot of people listening to this even hear uh, someone in the medical field or health field in any way uh, mental health or otherwise mention their pay but the, <laughs> the, it, the idea even then though we could we could even just it, it's not exactly surplus value but there is the the idea that yeah the they are making more money than they're paying you and that's their profit But Mm -hmm. all of that money that's being made in profit is money that could be saved by the people who are paying in the first place. And um, so like that profit motive itself is inflating the cost of a lot of these services and the inflated cost of a lot of these services is what then like spirals into the cost of schooling and all that other shit. But there is like this weird domino effect where how you mentioned that. Well, if we did expand access to care, we would by default have a crisis where we then have to train all of these, this class of professionals now. Um, So that wouldn't, how do we do that in enough time? Well, you kind of have to pay for it. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, so it like so I I think there's always this question of like, why are certain people leaning so hard into things like Medicare for all? But it's like, well, it would create the situation that would domino effect to where we'd have to improve all of these other social safety nets to even allow that to work in the first place. So like Mm -hmm. one plan implies a lot of other plans, you know what I mean? Because
1: it's all. Yeah. well, and then the one, one thing people are, are, which is kind of a really neoliberal approach to this. Um, we
0: love it. Go for it.
1: Question is, uh, and, and a lot of, a lot of, uh, especially resident physicians are furious about this um, as they're starting to see it actually happening. But the, but there, but there's this um, this emergence over the last five, 10 years of, of, of nurse practitioners and physician's assistants, um, mostly nurse practitioners, but some PAs are guilty of this as well, but they're, they're being, um, given a lot of, um, freedom to, to function as if they were a physician. They're making a lot, they're, they're making less money and they're, um, and they're significantly less trained. Um, and there's, another there's heaps of research to show that, um, that to support a nurse practitioner or a nurse practitioner is a, a valuable member of the, the of a medical team in general, and and is a helpful aspect of the of providing healthcare. But the but this weird shift to just elevating um, these advanced um, practice providers to essentially to the level of a position with like a fraction of the training just because it's cheaper. Like, yeah, it's so much cheaper to do it that way. And, you know, states like New Mexico, um, out of desperation gave, um, nurse practitioners the ability to run practices independently. Yeah.
2: Um, I didn't know that actually.
1: And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's good for basic patient problems. Um, yeah, because it's like, it's stuff that a medical student could handle, but the the downside is like when it, anything gets mildly complicated and it, things get complicated really quickly and often unexpectedly in medicine is a hard lesson I've learned this year. And, um, and, and so it's, it's worrisome when you think someone who doesn't have enough training is, is, Going to make mistakes and people are going to get hurt because people with a lot of training, we still make mistakes and hurt people. And so uh, it's just a. It was a. I think you know there are other states who have also done this for nurse practitioners, but it's a little worrisome that they're this is this is the route they're going to take where they're just sort of like undercutting everybody, and, yeah. and 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 then doing and and doing a great disservice to. To the people who need the services from healthcare professionals,
2: I think we see a a similar kind of parallel thing in education as well, where we have a shortage of qualified teachers, uh, predominantly in special education. Those are arguably our students who need good teachers uh, the most, um, but those positions often get filled by long term substitute teachers, and this isn't a knock on them. Certainly, the same way you're not knocking um physician physician's assistants or nurse practitioners um but it's but it's people that um yeah, and, and a lot of them had a career in, in education before but they don't necessarily have the same level of of training particularly in special education and the same um knowledge of the you know the current research um that would support positive outcomes for students and in in your profession the the same knowledge of uh, supporting positive outcomes for patients. Um, so so I think we see a lot of parallels where um, you know, both both of our professions, for one reason or another, where whether it's the affordability of actually going to school to get that uh, uh, um, uh, doctorate degree in medicine or, Whatever the case may be, what whatever is keeping people from achieving that level of um, of certification, we are kind of patching over gaps that are being caused by those kind of neoliberal approaches to creating uh, competent workforces. Um, and it, this, I'm I don't know how this plays out in in other professions, but I, I definitely see parallels between the medical profession and the education profession in terms of, you know, we, we fill in the gaps with, with people who are in many ways less qualified and the people who need the services end up being the getting, end up getting the short end of the stick,
0: I guess. yeah, and I I do want to just kind of um, because I, I I feel like this is something that both the uh, y'all would underscore gladly, but um, just to not confuse uh, the level of someone's training with their capacity for being trained, because Absolutely. they are, yeah. And I, I didn't are, mean I didn't mean to imply otherwise. No, no, and you didn't, but I I could see someone listening in bad faith uh, jumping to that. <laughs> bad conclusion uh but i i think that that's worth bringing up specifically because a lot of these things ultimately they show a, a disregard for the field in which they're taking place uh whether it's uh staffing a classroom with an undertrained teacher who is capable of being trained further and i i think that that's important to um to highlight specifically because one, it undermines a lot of um, the uh, liberal um, bad faith arguments that kind of just are meant to stifle, uh, you know, progress in terms of work relations in, in my opinion. Um, that's how they run interception for the ruling class. Uh, but also it, it does show a fundamental disrespect to the worker both the trained one who's not getting that job because it just doesn't exist, but also the undertrained uh, worker who's doing the best that they can given the training that they've had. Um, because that worker, whether it's in the medical field or, or education or any other field, that worker, that human being is worth the investment for them to reach the limits of what they're capable of offering to society. And if they're showing that they are able to offer more to society, then we need to fucking invest more in them Uh, because they've made that choice. They're not being forced to, you know, they're making that choice to offer these services um, and it's a damn shame that 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 choice isn't being respected by literally investing resources into them. Um, yeah, yeah. And
2: we definitely have some of that in education. I don't know what it's like, um, in the, in the medical field, but, um, initiatives through, through our, our unions and stuff to, um, make it easier for people who maybe got into the profession, uh, of education as like educational assistants and other like related, um, kind of supporting staff roles, uh, to parlay that into like a, a, a teaching degree to where they can then you know advance their their knowledge and and ultimately their their compensation and their
0: abilities and all that so i,
2: I don't know
1: yeah. and i know that in Rick medicine with, it's a oh, question to
0: i was literally gonna just segue to what i think you're gonna say now so go for it
1: <laughs> so it we've what, talked about a few of them before you can cut me off if you want but <laughs> if i'm not answering your question but medical uh, like specifically physician training itself is, um, is so prohibitive, uh, for so many people too. And and so, you know, to getting, getting the education to become a, a, a PA or a nurse practitioner is also more affordable. It takes a lot less time. And so, so, uh, you know, so it's, it's, I, I think there's, there's not a lot of specific bad actors in the world of, uh, in these in these places doing who are who are you know nurse practitioners who are just trying to provide as much care as they can within their scope of practice or but uh,
0: getting like a quick book so not doing the time for medical school that's not the choice they've made <laughs> no, no
1: yeah yeah most of the time i i know i know one nurse practitioner who wears a long white coat and has a doctorate she got online and puts doctor on her on her uh white coat and it's like and she wears it in the hospital and i'm like doctor in a long doctor in a long white coat means MD and yeah. you're yeah you're
2: like, especially in a hospital you're, yeah.
1: you're like you're just you're straight up posing in the hospital and this is terrible it's a bad look damn <laughs>
2: po- poser is a, poserism exists in the, in the oh yeah, uh, yeah. well the,
1: the because of the because of the 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 shitty culture they call it stolen valor of course but yeah um,
2: yes yes yeah yes.
1: <laughs> but uh,
2: i'm sure their their default uh, is comic sans and their their gmail messages oh, and I, shit like that for sure <laughs>
1: you could guarantee that but uh but yeah to, so but to the point of medical training to, to become a physician specifically it is um you know it, you gotta you have to get your four-year degree first and then you have the test the mcat you have to take costs you know hundreds of dollars the because of how difficult it is and how competitive it is you have these um wealthier students who are paying for all these uh courses to prepare them specifically for the test and um and these are all there's a whole racket for board preparation in medical training people make millions of dollars off of uh of just uh you know desperate anxious students trying to become doctors
0: and also the the hyper competitiveness uh, is is also like a just the the i guess like just like toxic behaviors and inherently festers in people um Mm -hmm. is ultimately bad and also just i i think reifies the idea that um in order to have something good like you need to have competition for it um instead of there being like a positive way to foster collaboration and like actually yeah. you know
2: you know um the 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 thing i keep thinking of is we're having this conversation regarding barriers to um be, uh, uh, achieving the highest level of knowledge and training and credential in your your chosen field i keep coming back to the um you know in when Marx talked about, like, um, under communism, you'd be able to uh, fish in the afternoon, rear cattle in the evening, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it, just, it just seems goofy to me that we would... I, I mean, I guess the argument would, would say we need to make things competitive so that we produce the cream of the crop, the best of the best, so to speak. But then I'm also, like but but at the same time you're 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 limiting and you're discarding all of the people that could hold this collective knowledge that is maintained by limiting access to the academy limiting access to the ability to advance your career and achieve a higher degree and a higher level understanding of your chosen field and so it's like if we were if we were to build a society that is is better serving people and is is you know uh, just an overall healthier world whether that's physical or or mental or whatever the case may be and (laughs) instead of limiting access we should broaden it um but but we just we're just not we're just not doing that and yeah
0: I, i well i i do think that just like more now than ever like we see the the hollowness of like even like the the basic like bootstraps mentality that seems to undergird everything from you know like blue collar jobs to literally also like, I've never
2: had boots with straps I don't know what I that mean, even,
0: even means they're like so. yeah uh, but even uh, that that same mentality like is alive and well in like medical school of like yeah you just need the grit the grit we were talking about. Um, is still rearing its head but at the same time like if they truly believed in that then they wouldn't have a problem with us starting off on a level playing field so if you if you believe in capitalism why are you against a 100% inheritance tax why don't you think that your kids can get to where you are without having the head start of beginning with the wealth that you've accumulated And the same thing goes with, like, medical school. If, like, we truly wanted the best of the best and even the minds with the greatest capacity even or, you know, because we all have varying degrees, um, then why aren't we just leveling the playing field and, like, literally going through every person and not just the people who self-select by way of the wealth that they were born into in the first place? Because it is possible to be – and this is where the the word access becomes problematic is, like – uh, anyone technically does have access to universities and all that other stuff but what's the likelihood and the fact of the matter is is that if you come from a wealthier background you have uh, you are more likely to attain a postgraduate degree of any kind um, not just medical or anything else you know yeah.
1: and, well and I, I know especially older older school doctors um, train like, 20, 30 years ago, or longer, a lot of them are so disconnected that I've heard this said so many times when they're talking to a nurse or um, anyone who's not another doctor in the hospital who impresses them by seeming um, intelligent. The I've heard this too many times where the doctor will go like, why didn't you just go to medical school? And it's like, well, it's <laughs> actually a, a really bad question. Um, yeah. Like, why don't you pay for my test prep courses and pay for my undergrad degree and then get me a scholarship? Uh, yeah. You know, like, it's just it's very, it's, it's bad and insulting.
2: Do you see a difference uh, between the perspective on i guess i don't know i don't know necessarily the purpose of of medicine against uh, uh, um, with respect to like your your cohort or age group of of people compared to people that have been in it for a long time because like personally i grew up around a lot of uh doctors and people in the medical field and uh you know
0: heard a he, lot of he was an x-man
2: a lot, a lot of <laughs> uh, uh, just heard a lot of complaints, uh, mainly about the things that cause their profit uh, margin to uh, uh, become more problematic for them, and uh, it it always seemed to me that that was more important than I guess the fundamental purpose of medicine, whether um, it's it's like physical stuff or mental health stuff uh, which, which seems to me to, to help other people. Um, so I, I don't, I don't know what, what do you think in, in terms of like how people of like people are in and around our age, let's say like late twenties to mid to late thirties kind of view their purpose. And I guess stuff like that. And
1: in- yeah, so I'd say in, in general, um, there's, there is a, um, the sort of the newer generation of, of doctors in training right now are are far more progressive in general, um, and I even when I was uh, in my second year of med school, I was um, working with um, this uh, this trans rights activist um, in in Albuquerque who um, he was uh, very into outreach and education and we coordinated some educational, um, like roundtable discussions with medical students to kind of discuss, um, issues of, of, um, gender and healthcare and, and kind of have like a sort of, and this is a terrible sounding question, but can I ask this kind of, um, yeah. And which, which, would I, which I, which really awesome that, that, uh, a, a no dumb question that, session that a person that it, that a person w- would willingly subject themselves to hear these questions um but their passion for um outreach and physician understanding of uh, issues that 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 are commonly dealt with in the trans committee it is so important that it um superseded their need to be comfortable all the time which i thought was awesome but uh but the um i would even have the conservative probably voted for Trump guys. Like ask me questions about like, so how do I talk about gender with my patients? Like, but they'll like come to me on like, like outside of the lecture, just like, Hey, I saw you did that thing. Uh, like, what do you, uh, how, how would you recommend I talk to my, if, if I want to work in the ER, like what are these conversations going to look like? Um, just weird, strange things with these, uh, with this, uh, even like the conservative guys in my med school class. And, and then in, yeah. And in psychiatry, psychiatrists are, like, if you look at the, the data for at least American psychiatrists, we're generally the most left-leaning um, specialty. Um, and we're also, like, the some of the happiest people in our field. Um, maybe there's a connection. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> maybe, like, clutching your your money bags constantly has <laughs> a negative impact on your... Well, you
2: might even have like a, like, like so much, so much of your, um, your job description is connecting with other people. And, you know, the more of that, that happens, there's, there's a lot less, um, uh, alienation that takes place. Like in our profession, our our profession is mainly about, uh, connections, you know what I mean? mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, a lot of my experience, like that kind of um, led, led to my question in terms of, uh, people I've known that have been in the medical profession, kind of worrying more about, um, profit motivated concerns more so than, um, the concerns for people's well, well well-being by and large. Um, I think maybe that has something to do with the difference between being like an orthopedic surgeon and a psychiatrist. I, I I don't, um,
0: yeah, I, also, to, I, I, I just before, sorry, I, I do no, want to just kind of interject with like the, the idea that even just the debt that goes, al- the hefty debt that goes along with medical school and things like that, it is itself a, a disciplining mechanism and it yeah. disciplines you into behaving in a way that fits better in, uh, fits in better with a, a profit driven society. And so yeah. even just that, like uh, whether you like it or not, it, it does like discipline you into thinking the way that the world <laughs> wants you to think even in this situation yeah and yeah. also
2: i don't i don't mean to imply that these people are like you know ba- bad or, or selfish or anything but it does get back to that like being disciplined by the market and being disciplined by a certain type of system it, it molds our way of of, of thinking so
1: yeah well no, so so yeah the the, the with the progressiveness, this there's definitely um a lot more focus on, on patient care quality and, and things like that. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, to the, the, there, there's always this question or discussion about how, you know, like the, the, the profitability of being a primary care doctor is so low that, that half the people who go into med school thinking they're going to be someone's primary care doctor in the future goes out the window when they realize how much student loan debt they have and how well they did on their, their boards. And so if you, if you, if you're hyper competitive in your first two years of med school and you get a really high board score, you could become an orthopedic surgeon. So after your five to 10 years of training, after you graduate med school, you can quickly pay off your loan debt. And then more insidiously, like they, do things like in when you're in a residency training program um, like in psychiatry there's um, and in every residency program there are like what we call moonlighting opportunities where you work outside of the hospital system um, for a different organization usually a private or state-run organization and um, you you do some you kind of negotiate some kind of work and so like you can work for a state hospital and cover all of the patients for a weekend. And you can make like a thousand dollars over a weekend. Um, and it's like, what, like, what you like, (laughs) you just, you have to, you have to be responsible for two days for like the lives of 300 patients. Um,
2: yeah. And you, and you may, you make, uh, just slightly less than I make for, working two weeks to teach kids how to read
0: better (laughs) yeah and but i I, it's wild yeah hell yeah (laughs) it's very
2: sick very sick
0: i i do but even with that and just kind of taking a step back of uh even with the the debt and the pay and those things of like how it, it disincentivizes uh, the forms of uh, of medical practice that currently aren't necessarily being supported by our private insurance companies and hey. things like that. So I, I do these things always work in tandem and we can't like divorce one from the other. And this is why uh, it is important to have an actual holistic view of the world and so that we don't just end up. Uh, scapegoating individuals and just saying, hey, you're greedy and that's why you didn't do this. Instead, we need to take a step back and say... Oh, it's weird how these insurance companies are pushing for one type of medical care that happens to be more profitable for them. While at the same time, the medical schools and the hospitals with the pay that they incentivize and with the cost of the, uh, the way uh, what it takes to even get your foot in the door are also disincentivizing the same things that are becoming less profitable for the people who are dominating the decisions regarding our health care in this country and those things are always all connected and it it is important that we make those connections even if it's tacitly or clumsily like I just did you know
2: (laughs) yeah well it's 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 I I see parallels to education too like the things that make people a profit are also the things that are a lot less effective like you know over testing students you know with all the standardized testing and stuff that in turn, these these companies that make a profit off of it, they can go back and say, oh, well, if you want your your students to do better on this standardized test that, by the way, we manufacture and you pay us for, uh, then you can also buy some of our uh, curriculum services and stuff like that. And that's why it's so wild to me that like a, a primary care physician would uh, make so much less uh, profit than like a, a, a specialty uh, doctor. I guess the argument would say, "Oh, you you have all this specialized training; you should make more." But also, like if if people had more it, 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 the expanded ability to see a primary care physician, and even like even in a medium sized city like Albuquerque, it's hard to find a primary care physician because there's a, there's a, a lack of them. But if more people had the ability to see a primary care physician, they would have less need to see a specialist for orthopedic problems for, um, you know, respiratory
0: problems, heart problems, stuff like that. And someone, so, uh, yeah, someone already would have told him to drink more water.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Tim could, he could be racking up a fortune right now, just telling people to stay hydrated. Making- <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: yeah, no, That you're, you're absolutely right. Though the adequate access to primary care, um, it, it gets it gets in front of uh, a lot of these issues that specialists learn how to treat um, and these the especially like extra subspecialized um, doctors are um, they're kind of like like in just like in waiting for people's lives to get worse yeah and for them not to get the right care or to uh, have a uh, absent-minded burnt out primary care doctor who sees too many patients and um, and wait for that to fall apart so that they can you miss something yeah. Um, yeah and so you know there and and i think that you know there are of course a lot of specialists and highly subspecialized specialized um, doctors who they found their way there because they I found some love for or obsession sometimes about the that specific topic, and even a niche talent too. Like
2: yeah, Doctor
1: Miami, yeah. for example. Really? Yeah, <laughs> uh, Doctor Dre. You've seen what he can do. Yeah,
3: <laughs> I've seen him
0: on the MPC. It's good. It's entertaining.
2: Yeah, that shoots our whole argument to shit, right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, know the the um that is a, a a big it's another big topic we talk about in and uh in in the world of people who are uh, advocating for like medicare for all is um is is trying to incentivize primary care training again and um and trying to kind of decorrupt it because of uh the 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 way pharmaceutical companies have infiltrated and um, and still remain in a lot of uh, like private clinics, uh, like we medical students um, got pharmaceutical companies out of university hospitals. Um, and it wasn't until um, like fifteen years ago that the American Medical Student Association, who with which I was a leader in for several years. Hmm.
3: Just
1: brag there, but <laughs> I was not a leader there when they did this, though. But they, <laughs> they had uh, they had produced a report. <laughs> you
0: distance yourself from the narrative before you even give the narrative.
1: Well, I just I'm just I'm just mostly jealous that I wasn't a part of this because oh, they okay. they produced a report. Uh, they they made it was called a report card. Uh, for their what they call the farm-free campaign was to get pharmaceutical companies out of um, teaching hospitals, and they out uh, of the most damning piece of data that they found because they're looking at policies for conflict of interest things like that, and and uh, the report card graded every university hospital um, in the country, and, and Harvard got an F, I believe, and so <laughs> once that happened, everybody clutch their pearls because they how could you possibly (laughs) on carver what is going on here and they're like oh they're corrupted by pharmaceuticals the the slave (laughs) owners
0: who founded it were turning in their graves
1: (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah i so i'm really jealous that i wasn't a part of that um piece of of uh that organization's history but i'm still happy with what i did with them but whatever um (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, so, so there's, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of stuff, uh, that that's going on. That's like a lot of like, um, uh, um, swept under the carpet of, of also kind of making barriers for, for, for allowing people to feel comfortable financially going into primary care. Yeah. Um, and then and then creating a, a, a sufficient primary care workforce to care for all of the patients who need that and uh, and I knew for myself like I because I really thought strongly or, or thought a long time about going into primary care and here I am in psychiatry but I actually my plan because I felt more at home working with specifically with mental illness and started to dread um working with the nuances of like blood pressure management and the those things that that some primary care doctors love working with like a hypertensive patient with uncontrollable diabetes like they love that stuff and i'm so glad that they exist um because they don't like to handle patients with the personality disorders and all the stuff that i deal with day-to-day that i love so it's fine you know but but i but i the, I guess my goal is to integrate myself within primary care um, so that that people are getting the because I think the it's like the little things like blood pressure management and those little things that over a long time are what would kill most of us uh, cancer screenings things like that and then the yeah. other the other thing that we don't talk about that influences all of that is your mental health yeah oh so if we could do therapy interventions and medication management with a properly trained professional uh, like myself eventually, um, (laughs) that would have such good outcomes for people. But even then, like there's, we're still faced with all of those problems in the system that we've talked about already. And like, how does, how does a psychiatrist go to a primary care clinic and properly bill for their time so that he can get paid? Because if you don't bill, the insurance properly you don't get paid and so you learn here and there in residency training we learn how to like um submit the billing information for the reimbursement yeah. and then uh, and then we don't you know and then it just goes into the ether as far as we know yeah. uh
0: well yeah and and a lot of that stuff too is like intentionally pretty mystified of like it's just a complete disconnect of the individual Pe- actors that are involved of like there's all these mitigating factors essentially to depersonalize to dehumanize a lot of the process that goes along with like the money side of it and yeah
1: like the charge master have you heard of the charge master for hospital billing systems
0: no but I think I I have my second Twitter name now <laughs> <laughs> uh, the charge master uh, the, what, charge. What, what, the um, more charge master uh,
1: yeah <laughs> Master yeah. dollar sign. No, no gods, no
0: charge masters.
1: <laughs> 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 but but yeah, the charge master basically um, just generates the prices for everything in the hospital, and so uh, there's some like math to it. But it's it, it essentially can it can arbitrarily charge insurance companies or send the bill to the insurance for whatever amount of money they want. You know, that's like when people show their bill, and it's like, "Why was it fifty dollars for a Tylenol?" It's because the charge yeah. master decided it. <laughs> yeah, I,
2: I I encountered that firsthand. My my first job was in materials management at a hospital uh, when I was in high school, and I remember what seeing the fuck? like yeah. <laughs> i I wasn't managing the materials i was simply uh, printing out reports from the floors of the hospital and delivering the needed supplies
0: i simply hit the burr button on the money machine
2: (laughs) i mean honestly yeah i would click a button (laughs) and it would literally put out a report for me to tell me what to do but uh (laughs) um but but i remember the first time like like seeing that like patients were being charged like like five dollars, which isn't that much, but five dollars for a like a like a Band-Aid, bandaid, like a simple bandage and shit like that, just like and that was the first, I was like oh none of this makes any sense. How I found that out
0: we used to go we used to go skate in front of the hospital in the the town I'm from, uh, but we'd go to the top floor where the geriatric ward was because they didn't put a lock on the uh, freezer where they kept all the ice cream, so we would go, <laughs> <laughs> but. One day, uh, we were just chilling in there, eating the ice cream, because we already had a plan of, like, someone walks in, you act emotional, and we'll be like, yeah, his grandpa's down the hall. We're just here to support him.
3: <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> uh,
2: Working in a hospital like that was tight, though, because uh, I, I, there was one of my classmates worked in the cafeteria, so he would hook it up with free uh, burritos. That's tight. Uh, right. And then, like, every everyone else who worked in the materials management department were, like, ex-gang uh, members. Yeah. We were super chill. Like they would make fun of me for being like a dorky, like white kid or whatever. But they also taught me like how to clock out uh late and early and still receive like a f- credit for a full day's work. So that was pretty badass. Oh, that's, tight. that's that's real solidarity, people. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty
0: cool. <laughs> oh, what I was gonna say is on the door to the freezer, we didn't notice it till like the third or fourth time we had, you know, gone up there for snacks. Uh but they had the prices printed on the on the door and it'd be like I was like eating a little like cup of uh, swirl ice cream and then like looking at the thing and be like, oh, this is twelve bucks. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, Jesus Christ, I've i been like we've been on the receiving end of that of like medical billing and it's it's oh, yeah. a fucking nightmare. Like it's it it sucks. Like it, it and it makes no sense. It's like you know I I didn't intentionally. Get cancer or whatever it is, but now I'm stuck here splitting well, the bill for it. It it makes no it makes no goddamn also, sense.
0: Also, but <laughs> the the billing aside, though the the amount of uh, middle persons, thank you, yes. uh involved in, in that <laughs> in that of like I I I remember like tons of times that we you know we were all going to hang out and then y'all would be literally too fucking tired from being on the phone with all those assholes all day, like. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's wild. Like how much you have to go through just to secure the shit that you had already paid for. You know what I mean? And and it's all
2: being done to maximize fucking profit. It's not being done to maximize your healthcare outcomes. It's being done to maximize profit. Like just going through the experience of like, uh, my, my wife's doctor trying to switch up a, a medication to help with nausea from chemotherapy and like it just gets left up to the decision of someone at an insurance company deciding, okay, what can we and can't we cover, and like we can't cover this, and uh, there's no reasonable medical explanation from it, uh, or for it. Sorry. So it just it it's entirely motivated uh, by profit, and it and it sucks. Even as even as people who are relatively like lucky to have like a. A government job essentially with with benefits and stuff like it, it's it's just fucking absurd and and <laughs> can be very demoralizing and i can't imagine mm. what it's like for people who have less less means than like i i do personally
1: yeah i mean i when i my first year of med school i got appendicitis and uh, ruined my credit because of the medical bills yeah, yeah. i <laughs> I, and- I i was there for i was there for like 14 hours total from when I showed up to discharge and
0: equal equally bad um, when I was in third grade I had appendicitis and I missed the field trip to the Carlsbad Caverns oh man yeah so yeah man check your privilege okay (laughs) for real we should put this behind the paywall so we can
2: raise money for a little field trip to make up for that um, I
0: do want to go back there (laughs) what you missed
2: out on uh the one thing i don't think we've talked about that i kind of wanted to get your opinion on uh greg is uh we talked about this a little bit before the show but uh working in mental health like what it like do you see do you see mental health as more of an individual thing or like is is it something we like should be more responsible for socially um and when you know we hear people talk about like my depression, my you you know, and, and it seems to be very individualized, and it certainly is, and there are certainly like um, you know, uh, chemi- chem- like chemical factors, uh, and mm-hmm. like mental health is definitely a real individual thing. But like, what what's your take on that? As far as how much should it be a social res- like in an ideal world, how how yeah. socially responsible should we? be to each other for those things? How much could we mitigate the effects of, of, of mental health issues by, you know, through, through social means or, or otherwise just kind of curious about that?
1: Yeah, no, I, I think, um, there, there's, it's naturally it's complicated. There's certainly, you know, as you're saying, like there's the biological elements of, of, um, of mental illness. Um, but you know, one thing that I've, learned and it's definitely a uh an issue and this is just sort of an example to sort of maybe speak to to this question um before i get too far ahead of myself um but uh so so a lot of times we talk about you know anxiety and depression are really common diagnoses that get thrown around a lot especially major depression and generalized anxiety um and no clinical depression is not a real diagnosis it's a it's a colloquial term to mean made like noticeable depression basically. But, um, but so those diagnoses get thrown around, but when you learn more about the sort of like the genetics and natural history of the, those chronic illnesses, um, a good number of people that, that we see and that I've seen um, will come in with, with symptoms that may fit, a generalized anxiety or um, a major depressive episode, but they're often people who who don't have the who hadn't had the natural history of the chronic illness, and are it's mostly sort of circumstantial um, things that we call often call adjustment disorders, where you know, like uh, getting really depressed for for a long time because you lost your job and now you can't find work and you're, um, and you're constantly struggling financially. And so your, your depression keeps getting worse because your conditions keep getting worse. Um, and you
2: you can't adjust to some stuff that you like literally shouldn't have to encounter in the first place.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. And so like the, and, and so I think we, so the mainstays in treatment for adjustment disorders, um, is, is, mostly therapy, but some medications kind of help, um, mitigate the immediate, um, stuff because it can take time to sort of un- uncover what, what was the initial inciting event of this, de- this person's depression or anxiety or mix. Um, and so that kind of leads to the fact that, so, so there are, there's these individualized biological elements, but, um, but people, um, you know, and then there's also that kind of weird sort of maybe kind of Neo Libby, um, like check on your friends, um, or call me if you're feeling down. Like, that's, that, what,
2: that's what we're doing right now, by the way.
1: <laughs> it's not really like, I don't, I don't think of that as, as, uh, like collective action, um, or, or like the, what I think you're, um, what asking about, um, It's more of just building stronger communities and um and and you know making like just having conversations with people about their feelings people going to therapy and being comfortable with it having more and more open conversations about all of this stuff are are like little ways that you could put on like a billboard i guess to have a more honest, uh, approach to, to some of this stuff, but, um, there's, there's a lot to just, um, people coming together to, um, it, that helps sort of facilitate the, um, the relief of a lot of these stressors that lead to mental illness and, and psychiatric diagnoses.
0: Yeah. And I, I think even just like connecting that, uh, A little bit more to um, Patch's question of even like creating uh, um, the economic context in which people had the time to do that, even to the time to set aside to meet up with other adults, especially because that's one thing that I've definitely noticed in the, the past few years is like the decline in social time that a lot of adults, especially adults with children have of like the amount of time that they have uh, to meet up with other adults and just vent and shit uh, without kids present because you're not going to or at least probably shouldn't go off on everything in front of your kids that you're going through um, because, you know, they're not – a lot of times they just don't need to worry about it. <laughs> it's not a kid's problem. It's an adult's problem, you know. Um, yeah. But that that's definitely one thing that I, I've noticed is that a lot of people have the um, – I guess like friends on standby is kind of where a lot of people are at, uh, in general, even pre pandemic of, yeah, there are people they can call on in an emergency, uh, but don't necessarily pick up the phone whenever it's just like, you know, it's a fucking bad day and I want to vent, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Yeah. and, And, and I see this with my patients who are, um, I mean, very, very, um, heavily impacted by by the, the isolation during this pandemic is um, some uh, people, especially when their coping skills are are not very robust or, or they could be better, um, they, they resort to more sort of primitive, like acting out and frustration and more like nebulous um, reactions to stress um, that, uh, but, but a lot more of my patients are in this state where I might've initially seen them when they were severely depressed and we maybe adjusted a medicine or something and try to get them connected with therapy. And especially if I can get them into like a group therapy that meets a few times a week, kind of basically give them four days a week, a new friend group, like a new community to meet with. And then people will, I often will see people, for that short period of time for the several weeks or so, the duration of the program, they bounce back, they're looking great, get them out of the program, a couple of weeks later, they come to see me and they're, they're back down to feeling low. And so it's, 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 I think more and more people are are seeing how abundantly clear that the, that the sort of individual element of your mental health is just, it's one element of it, but the but your, your role around with, in in society and your um, being around other people, other adults, especially um, like those, these, these all have tremendous impacts on, on people's mental health. And, uh, and I know, you know, I, several patients I see every week um, when I talk to them about their, especially their depression uh, lately you know, the, the ones who have, like, really good insight to understand that, like, yes, it's the, this is this is the isolation that's really bringing me down. I need to be around people sometimes to, to, to feel better. Um, they have no interest in, in asking me for more medications. And I have no interest in giving that to them, because we both have the understanding that, like, we know what needs to be done. Um, but sometimes, well, you know, some people can be, can get some satisfaction out of like, like meetup.com. I don't know if that's an Albuquerque, but like online groups where people like video chat like this and um, find more creative ways to make connections with people.
0: Yeah. I, I was recently talking to a friend about um, some of the different support groups uh, around you know, specific things. Um, I, I just realized that o- opening my mouth that I, I might out them <laughs> immediately <laughs> by mentioning any specifics. Uh, but a lot of the um, for, I will say that a, it is a good time to try a lot of the, uh, um, the group support things that are in place, whether it's an, uh, AA or NA or um, ACA uh, adult children of alcoholics, which uh, a, a lot of our friends in the, the music community uh, might uh, benefit from visiting uh, well because like yeah. you, we do have a lot of a lot of friends who don't necessarily act out as alcoholics themselves but yeah. have been deeply impacted by alcoholism you know mm-hmm. and uh but a lot of those groups have been forced to go online so if you've ever been curious about things like that now's kind of a good time to dip your toe in because you could just yeah. literally join with the camera off like
1: you know yeah, yeah. people and people do that but let me know if there's a uh, if you if you hear of any online community for for bisexual skateboarding psychiatrists because I could really use <laughs> really specific niche hangouts with my PM. Yeah. <laughs>
2: right, right into the show. Uh, yeah, probably. right in, right in. Uh, or, or uh, even just re- joining a reading group or something, or like I guess
1: like uh, could do that
3: too.
0: <laughs> I, there, there's this website called Twitter.com. Uh, <laughs>
2: Uh, Uh, Or, or, or even just reaching out to the people that are immediately around you. Uh, I like, uh, a long time ago now, since we started recording, we talked about building connections, uh, with coworkers and how difficult that is, uh, for you and your profession, especially, um, it's, it's also important for us as well in the work that we do, because obviously like when we're in the classroom when we're teaching, when we're working with kids, like we have to be a we, we have to be solid for them. Um, not, not saying we can't be human and, and discuss with them like our, our own struggles and stuff like that when it's appropriate and when it might be helpful for them. Um, but by and large, we have to try to kind of, you know, you know, speaking of looking for reasons to be hopeful, try to, uh, try to project that in many ways, um, without being f- fake about it, uh, or, um, um, you know, naive about it. Um, but, but it's, you know, for me personally, like being able to have the time, whether it's in, in meetings or just having quick, um, discussions with, uh, coworkers and stuff, finding that time to, to find things that we can agree on and like build solidarity around is, is very, very important. I can't imagine how important it would be in the mental health profession because you're having to be a strong base of support for so many people and it's like you you need that as well for yourself as do your coworkers. um and so like just for anyone really like you know your 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 work is often a place since we have to be there unfortunately for better or for worse uh, you know, the choice between that or starving, we, we, we're going to be at work for a large portion of our lives. And so finding things that we can, uh, connect around, whether it's like stupid, uh, jokes and, and stuff like that, or, or smart, like really, (laughs) or or really anything like it's, it's, it's super, super important. And, And I, I kind of personally feel like, um, we have to constantly and consciously work against becoming isolated i know for myself personally i have a tendency towards isolation and i catch myself in that all the time and whenever i delete my twitter account it's because i'm going through
1: this (laughs) (laughs) like it happened so many times this week uh
2: but
0: but Dude, i, but I, I know it's to go <laughs> send one of your posts to someone and then your twitter account was gone even after like i told them yeah
2: about it. you know it's like how people tweet that stupid thing of like oh if you catch me watching the uh, reruns of the office you know i'm in a bad place mentally but like <laughs> but it really is like like you you catch yourself falling into that isolation and we have to actively work against it um you know and it's kind of i i think that that might be just like a fundamental part of like being a human being um but but it's but it's important and and it's uncomfortable but the more you reach out the more you build connections with other people and support networks with other people and um we need to we need to work really hard to get past that isolation that is kind of um uh indoctrinated or 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 cultivated within us because we live in a, a an isolating kind Of society,
0: um, I, I we we have been going for a while. I just noticed, oh wow, uh, Holy shit. yeah. <laughs> uh, if, if you, uh, y'all are cool, we could wrap up there. Uh, Greg, uh, Avi, you're gonna be back on at some point, probably soon. Oh, yeah, uh, if that's okay with you. But, uh, anything you want to say before we go other than drink uh, our water? Um, uh.
1: just you know, if you're feeling sad, text your buddy. <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> no i don't know uh just uh, uh thinking of other bad advice um i don't know i'll i'll give something next time i'm on <laughs> hell, no. hell yeah.
0: all right right on man well uh we love you thank you for coming on and uh thanks for being yeah on this ride.
2: is awesome thank you yeah thanks for having me
0: oh anytime